look at somebody and say, get ready. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, hey, I got a question. Have you ever had one of those days that you literally felt every emotion? <laughs> huh? Like, like you had one of those days that you were like happy, sad, frustrated, mad, everything all in one day. Anybody? Yeah. There are some in the room that that describes most of your days. And if you're sitting by that person, do not look at them or elbow them at all. Because I promise if you look at them or elbow them, they're going to go from happy to mad, and then you're going to be sad, all right? So, so don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I, I actually, if I was going, this is Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. But if I was going to title, and I didn't put a title on it, really, but if I was going to title today's message, I would call it Happy, Sad, Mad. See, a lot of my growing up in church, and most of us, the typical kind of uh, uh, Palm Sunday message is, is all about um, Jesus entering the city, the big celebration of the king is here, right? The king is here. Hosanna, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord. And, and Jesus, the triumphant king, coming into Jerusalem at the beginning of what we call Holy Week or, or Passion Week. And I really want to encourage you this week, make plans, change plans, get your circle, get friend groups, come and be a part every night, 7 o'clock. It's only going to be an hour-long service every night this week as we worship, as we pray, as we walk through the teachings of Jesus between Palm Sunday leading up to the crucifixion. Some great stuff. I just want to encourage you, make plans. And here, really make plans Friday, Good Friday. Uh, we've had this on the calendar for a, for a while. We're doing a special communion service on Friday that anybody is welcome to. Anybody, just come be a part of, of that. It's going to be a great week. It really is. And I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to do some really cool stuff. How about you? Yeah, I am. I am. So come be a part of that. So Jesus comes in, and there's this huge celebration. And that is what Palm Sunday is. It, it is about that. I'm not taking away from that. But the more I've dug into it, it was a lot more than that. There was a lot happened that day that maybe you didn't realize it was all the same day, that it all happened on that Sunday before Jesus would be crucified on Friday. Um, it's interesting to me. 
that all of that happened. Now, we're going to actually look. This is, this is recorded in multiple places, but we're going to primarily focus in Luke 19. So you can go ahead and find Luke chapter 19. Put your finger in it. Dial it up on your phone, your Uversion app, or whatever it is. Find it uh, and, and hang on to it. All right? This is one of those rare occasions that we get to see Jesus in all of the human emotions. On Palm Sunday, we see Jesus all on the same day, happy, sad, and mad. It all happened that day. And the interesting thing is he had all of the emotions, but it, sh it should not be a surprise to us. He handled it in a really big God kind of way, you, you know? He had all of the emotions of human emotions, but he handled it in an amazing God kind of way. And so we're going to look at it, all right? Um, now, it's, it's interesting um, that, that early in Luke 19... You actually see, uh, it, it's recorded that the crowd of people were expecting Jesus to take over the evil Roman government. They were, they were, they were a perverted, twisted, ugly, evil government, and they expected Jesus because he was a revolutionary. He was a revolutionary. He talked a lot about this kingdom that was coming, this kingdom that was coming, this kingdom that was coming. And then this revolutionary that was bringing in this kingdom starts heading for Jerusalem. And they're like, oh, it's time. He is fixing to take over. He is going to overthrow them. We've seen him do miracles. He's going to overthrow this evil government, and it's going to be amazing. And they believed, according to Luke, they believed it was going to happen right now. Everybody say, right now. Jesus had been telling them, it ain't happening right now. Not what you think. Matter of fact, he had told them that there would be suffering and dying before there would be a reigning king. They didn't get it. Matter of fact, he told them this. Before there would be a throne, there would be a cross. They didn't get it. And then later in the middle of Luke chapter 19, so that they would understand, because they're all riled up, you know, he's fixing to take over, and so that they would understand, he tells them a story. And I don't know if you knew, this was part of Palm Sunday. He actually tells a story of the talents. He tells a story about a master who would leave, and before he left, he would give his servants five talents, three talents, and to another one talent. And then he said, the, servant, or the master's going to go away, and he's going to be gone for a while. Then he's going to come back, and he's going to see what happened what those servants did with what the master gave them. He was talking about himself on Palm Sunday. I've only got a week left. I'm going to go away. I'm giving this stuff to you. What are you going to do with it? That was the story. They still didn't get it. 
They didn't understand. Matter of fact, the same people on Sunday were going, Hosanna in the highest. You know, he's the king. He's Messiah. A few days later, those, some of those same people are going, crucify him. Crucify him. Kind of interesting. Jesus understood that. So let's read the story. Are y'all ready? Right after he tells the story of the talents. We're going to read quite a bit. Y'all read it with me. Right? Are you ready? Oh, no. I saw somebody yawn. Are you ready? Don't you be yawning. I'll turn the refrigerator on for you. All right? All right. All right. Let's do it. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to where? Jerusalem. It's important. Remember that. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt or a donkey tied up there, which no one has ever ridden. No one has ever what? Ridden. That's important. You're like, really? Yeah, it is. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Jesus, right? Right, just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, the owner asked him, why are you stealing my donkey? I mean, isn't that what he's doing? Why are you stealing my donkey? They replied, the Lord needs it. You know, one of those people I want to meet, this is my ADD brain. One of those people I want to meet when I get to heaven is that donkey owner. <laughs> Why are you stealing my donkey? Well, the Lord needs it. Oh, oh okay. Just. I don't know, did he know him? You know what I mean? I don't know. But he's like, I'll take it. All right. It's brand new. Nobody's ever ridden it. Go for it. Uh, they, I'm sorry. They brought, they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloak on the, on the colt, and, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloak on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in a what? Loud voices for the Remember that. The miracles that they had seen. In, in Matthew 21, it says that, that they were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. All right. Blessed is, he, is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they're singing really loud. Praise in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Jesus, teacher, rebuke your students. That's literally what they said. Rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet... The stones are going to what? 
cry out. Jesus was literally saying, even the rocks on the ground know who I am. Come on. One of my old, some of you guys are old enough to remember, there was an old 80s Christian rock song that said, ain't no rock gonna cry in my place. And I was a big haired mullet guy, so I love that song. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> he said, he said, you know, if they stop, the rocks know who I am and they're going to cry out. Let's keep going. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he what? He wept over it. And said, if you even, you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. He's referring to the temple. Because you did not, what? Everybody say recognize. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, this is all Palm Sunday, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves or a den of robbers. Hmm. Well, welcome to Palm Sunday. Hmm. Um, you see in that all of those emotions of Jesus, he was happy, he was sad, and he was mad. See, the people started that day singing his praises. Jesus is coming in on a donkey, and I don't know if you know, but he was intentionally getting their attention. He was intentionally stirring up the crowd. Even the coming in on a donkey was a big deal. Matter of fact, for the Romans, it's kind of interesting. If you research it, the Romans were taking over the world, right? They were taking over the world a piece at a time. When they would conquer an area or a country, the Romans were big on having these victorious uh, parades where they would parade through the city and they would celebrate the army that won the victory, right? So they were big on these military parades. And so what would happen is when a conqueror or a winner, a general that led the army into the battle that they won, they would bring the, the whole army, that part of the troops that won the victory, they would bring them into the city and all of them, if they were horsemen, they'd be riding the horsemen, the horses. If they were marching soldiers or hand battle guys, they would be walking. But the general 
that led the troops into victory. The conquering general would ride a donkey. And they did that so that if you were watching the parade, you knew the one that led the victory. He was on a donkey. So, if you're Roman, you've heard about this guy that's bringing in this kingdom. And now that guy comes into the city as a victorious general. And you're thinking, he's making his move. I think it's interesting that he rode in as a victorious general, even before the cross. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It really is. He's like, I've already won this thing. You know, as far as you're concerned, I've won. Right? Now, so, so he's coming in as this conquering hero to the Romans. But to the Jews, it was a different thing. See, for the Jews, him coming in on a donkey was fulfillment of prophecy. Matter of fact, they, they were like, here's how you're going to know he's Messiah. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, this was written. And this is just one of many that they would have known by heart. And it's in Zechariah. It says this, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter what? Huh, that's interesting. See, and like I said, this was hundreds of years before. See your king coming to you, righteous and? I love that. At the same time, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The foal, never been ridden. Kind of cool. It really is. Hmm. So, here he is coming in. And I believe he's kind of pushing the hand of the Romans and the Jewish leaders to force them to kill him. See, it's interesting. Up till this time, anytime Jesus did a miracle... You know, he would heal a leper and go, don't tell anybody I did it. Is that what he did? Don't tell anybody I did it. And you're like, well, how am I going to keep that secret? My skin was falling off and now it's not. I don't know how, you know, <laughs> I mean, how is that going to work, you know? But here's what he would always say. You can read it. He would say, don't tell anybody who did it. You can give God glory for it, but don't tell anybody who did it because my time has not yet come. Now, he literally is saying, my time has come. Let it go viral. Let everybody know. Let everybody know, now is the time. It was the public display of I am who I am. It, it's out. Okay? 
one week before he would die. That's pretty powerful. It really is. Um, so, here he is as Messiah. He's making it happen. He is walking in. The people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. I, I want to give this to you because I think it's interesting. Hosanna the, in the Greek actually means save now. Everybody say it. Save now. Save now. So these people are like, save now. Save us now. They're still thinking he's going to free them from the evil government. Save us now from the Romans. Save us now. You know, it's going to happen now. He's coming in. He's victorious. He's the king. Hosanna. 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 They're shouting. They're singing. Everything is happy. And then Jesus gets really sad. He gets really sad. See, Jesus starts to cry. We read that. He starts to weep. And I want you to think about this. This is in your notes. Jesus cries because they still don't see that he wasn't here to save them from their evil government. But to save them from something much worse. Their sin. Jesus wasn't there to save them from their government. If the worst thing that they needed saved from was their government, that's what he would have died for. But that's not what he came for. He came to save them from something worse than an evil government. Their own sin. My sin. See, they wanted a deliverer. They wanted somebody to save them right now. Hosanna. But they wanted a deliverer on their own terms. And when he didn't deliver the way they wanted, by the end of the week, they're saying crucify him. They wanted a deliverer the way they wanted to deliver it. Free us from the evil government, but leave my junk alone. Right? Free us from those evil people and those sinful people out there. But leave us alone. Don't mess with my stuff. Hmm. So often, we want Jesus on our terms. Jesus, save me, take me to heaven, bless me. Come on, right? And how many of you know, anybody want to go to heaven? Anybody want him to bless you? Absolutely. Absolutely. But see, so often we're like, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this. I wonder if the crowd shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, big party, big parade, everything is awesome. I wonder if they even noticed that Jesus started crying. The word that's used there for crying in the Greek literally means to weep bitterly and in anguish. Like hardcore, Susan calls it, ugly cry. Y'all know what an ugly cry is. 
You don't even care. Just makeup, everything, you know. Jesus is ugly crying. And I wonder if those around were still so focused on what he was going to do for them, they didn't even notice he's ugly crying. Did anybody even ask him, what's wrong? I don't know. It's not recorded. Jesus is weeping, crying, crying, because he sees they still don't get it. They don't see who I am. They want me to be their savior, but they don't want me to be their Lord, to be their boss. Take me to heaven, but leave out all that commitment and serving and forgiveness and sacrifice. I really don't want to mess with that. I'm going to believe this part of what Jesus taught, but that other stuff makes me uncomfortable. Are y'all hearing me? We are the crowd. If I believe that part, it might make me change some things. Can I just say, it's all or nothing. We don't get to pick and choose. He's the potter, we're the clay. Come on. It's just the way it works. The crowd is all excited. Jesus is crying bitterly. See, he hears them going, Hosanna, Hosanna, and he looks into the city, and he sees his holy city. It's been the city of God for a long time. That his city don't get it. They don't receive him as Messiah. And then he looks, and he described it. We read it. He looks into the future as he's looking at the city, and he's weeping because they want him to save him, but not the way that he came to save them. And he looks into the city, and he goes 40 years ahead, and he sees that in 40 years, the Romans are going to turn on that city. And because they did not receive Messiah for who he is, judgment's coming to that city through the Romans. And the Romans are going to be literally pulverized, or the Jews are going to be literally pulverized for 143 days. 143 days, the Romans are going to do exactly what Jesus said as he was going into town. They're going to surround the city, and they're going to kill you, and they're going to kill all your kids and all your stuff. Matter of fact, the historian Josephus says that at the end of that 143 days, that there was so much blood that it ran through the gates of the city. Over 600,000 Jews died in that one battle. 600,000. And Jesus is riding into the city and he sees what's getting ready to happen. He sees that the, the temple of God is going to be burned and the stones that built that, that beautiful temple is going to be torn down one stone at a time and not one stone left 
on the other. He sees that. And he sees 600,000 of his people, the ones he loves, that rejected him. And he sees what they're going, they're going to die without Messiah. And it breaks his heart. And he weeps bitterly. Can I just tell you? God takes, according to the scripture, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None. Heard a guy say this, and it rocked me to the core. He was a missionary to a pretty radical Muslim group in, in uh, Africa. And his wife and two girls were brutally murdered because they were sharing the gospel. They were talking about Jesus. And he escaped. And he was preaching at a pastor's conference. It looked like there had to be five or 6,000 pastors in the room. And he said this. He said, I would rather 10,000 Christians die as martyrs than one Muslim. He said, because the one Muslim will spend eternity in hell, separated from God, but the 10,000 Christians in joy, in paradise. That'll rock your world. It puts it in perspective. So Jesus weeps as he sees the destruction of those that didn't accept him as Messiah. Breaks his heart. Then he continues going into the city, and he gets to the temple. By now, today has been a roller coaster. He's happy. He's sad. He's trying to clear up their confusion. And then he walks into his house, and he gets mad. He walks in and he begins to just start throwing the tables of those that are selling sacrifices. And he starts cleaning out the house. But see, Jesus in the, in the scripture even talks about you can get angry and not sin. Now most of us don't. <laughs> right? But but there was this righteous anger, and, and he was getting their attention. Again, I think part of it was he was pushing them to arrest him. He really was. But he walked in, and he started flipping. You know, you make a statement when you flip over a table, right? 
everybody is like, what just happened? And he started flipping over the tables. And he says, my house is a house of prayer. My house. My house is a house of prayer. <laughs> and you've turned it into this den of thieves. See, I've, I've, I've always had a little bit of question about that. Because... Not about him getting angry and not sinning. I, I get that. But why was he so upset at them selling the sacrifices? And you're like, well, because they were like, you know, money changers and you're not supposed to sell stuff in the temple. No, 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 no. It wasn't that. Matter of fact, you look at it. There is in the, in the it's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there were provisions that God gave that if you did not have a blood sacrifice, you could take what you have, whether it was grain or whatever it was that you had, you could take what you have and you could go and you could sell it or you could trade it for a sacrifice that was a blood sacrifice. God set that up. So why is he mad? Why is he flipping over tables in the temple? Here's why. They had turned it into a scam. Isn't that just like us? Right? They had turned it into a perversion. Matter of fact, from what I can find in, in researching it, is, is it, was, it was almost like this. This is how I see it based on what I've, I've read about it. Is that, that they were literally saying to people, people would bring in their sacrifice. And they would look at their sacrifice and go, you know, that sacrifice might not be pure enough. That sacrifice might not be good enough. If you really want to make sure God will accept your sacrifice to cover your sin, you need to buy ours because it's certified good. And of course, they were selling it at an elevated price, right? So they were literally saying, what you're bringing in as a sacrifice is no good, what we have is better. You need to buy from us the sacrifice because God might not accept yours. Yours might not be good enough. I'm sure if I could look at your sacrifice long enough, I'd find some flaw in those doves. I'd find some problem with the lamb. You know, but ours, they've been approved. Ours, yeah, ours is organic, I love it. Ours is, no, ours, yeah, ours is non-GM, no, anyway, it's like, ours is, but ours, ours is like the best. If you want to make sure God accepts your sacrifice, you got to buy ours. You're like, well, see, Jesus said, you've made my house a den of thieves. Because I am convinced 
They were robbing people of the ability to worship God freely. That's what made him mad. You're like, really? Yeah. I, I really believe that. Because I am sure there were those that had stopped going. I know people. I'm sure there are those that have stopped going to the temple because they're like, you know, last time I went, my offering was rejected. What I brought to the Lord wasn't good enough. And, and I really don't have the money to buy their high-priced sacrifice. So I'm just not going to go worship. You know what I believe makes God matter than an evil government? According to Palm Sunday? You, you, you want to know? Well, here's what I believe. It makes God mad when his people make it hard for others to come to God. <laughs> that makes him mad. That's all they were doing. They were making it difficult. They were making it difficult for people to worship. For people to bring their sacrifices. They were robbing people of the ability to worship. You're like, well, I'm not convinced yet. Well, just follow with me for just a second. I'm not going to take much time. But let's go back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created man and woman. Why? To have a relationship with. Right? Are y'all with me? So everything in this world was designed around us walking with God. Right? Everything was about that. Everything. He designed us for communion and community with the Godhead. That's what he wanted. That's what it was all about from the very beginning. But he is a holy God. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. So when sin happened, that relationship was no longer the same. Right? The relationship was broken because of sin. So God said, okay, matter of fact, God did the very first sacrifice. When he took the skin and made Adam and Eve clothes, he had to kill an animal to cover the sin, to clothe them so that he could walk with them. Are y'all hearing me? So the, the sacrifice was literally like a blanket. The blood was like a blanket that would cover the sin so that as it was covered, God could then again have community and communion with his people. Right? It would cover it up. It would hide it so that they could have a relationship. But it's so like us that God made this thing to cover it, and then we complicated it. As you go through history of the Old Testament, they complicated what God gave. 
And they made all of these rules and laws and laws around laws and laws around those laws and all of that. They complicated it so much that it made it difficult for people to connect with God. So finally, at just the right time, the scripture says, God sends his son to be the perfect sacrifice. Are y'all hear me? Are you with me? All right. So God sends his son to be the perfect sacrifice to once and for all cover the sin. Not just cover it, but it says wash it away. All that other sacrifice just covered it up. Jesus is like, nope, doing away with it, right? It's gone. And so, so Jesus comes. Think about this. Jesus has been there from the beginning. Are y'all, y'all know that, right? He's been there from the beginning as part of the Godhead. He was part of creation, John says. And so, so here he is. Now he is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He's in the flesh. For 33 years, Jesus had walked under and experienced the religious system of the day that was pushing people away from God rather than drawing them in. And here's the victor opinion. He was fed up with it. I think it was almost like, they're going to kill me anyway. I'm cleaning house. Come on. I don't know if that's the truth. Right? But that's how I see it. His entire life, death, and resurrection. Everything about Jesus, everything about all of his teaching was to make it easier for people to come to God, not harder. But they were making it harder. They were being a barrier to people. So, a couple of observations and then we're done. All right? Um, And I want you to think about this. Write it down. It's on your notes. Jesus cleaned his house before he saved the world. Come on. He cleaned his house before he ever went to the cross to save the world. See, everybody was shouting, fix the government. Save now. Save us from these evil people. And Jesus made a beeline for his house first. And here's why I think that is. Because <laughs> the government will never be changed until his house is clean. And you can like it or not, but that's the truth. Come on. It starts at his house. It starts... At his house. It starts, let me just take it a step further. It starts in this house. Come on. It starts in this house. 
Because after the resurrection and the Holy Spirit came and all of that, what does he say? Now I am the temple. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm the temple of God. You are the temple. You are the temple. So if there's going to be change out there, there first must be change and cleaning right here. Right? There must be. There must be. He started cleaning at home first. And as I was thinking about this week, you know what? I know that for me, when I think about what made God or what made Jesus angry, it was those things or those people or those whatever it is that makes it difficult for people to connect with God. And I was thinking about that going, Lord, you know what? Sometimes, many times, I am addicted to busyness. And my addiction to busyness makes it difficult at times for me to connect with God. Just being honest. What is it in our house, your house? That may be making it difficult for you to walk and talk with the Father.